Well, good evening, everyone. It's a great joy to be with you this evening. One of the things I always love that uh, catches my eyes in Scripture, right, is Jesus goes up the mountain. I love the mountains, right, and the mountain imagery that we see all throughout Scripture. Jesus goes up the mountain. You see, the mountains are always that experience uh, of the divine, a spirit, an experience of what we call a theophany, God coming before us. Evan, can you just turn me down just a slight? Thank you. I feel like I'm yelling at you guys. <laughs> the experience of that mountaintop. All throughout Scripture, uh, right, as we read, if, if you ever see uh, mountains, that means something profound is about to happen. One of the things I love about mountains personally, right, is that we feel very vulnerable within the mountains. You don't know uh, what's going to happen, especially if you ever go above treeline. You don't know what storm is lurking beyond the next peak. A few years ago, uh, I climbed uh, the Maroon Bells. If you've ever been up to Aspen, those are those beautiful, iconic mountains. Someone once told me that the Maroon Bells are actually the most photographed mountains in the whole world. So maybe you need to fact check that. I'm not quite sure, right? But if you ever go up there, right, uh, the Maroon uh, peaks, uh, and they look like bells. The, the red kind of uh, color, the hue that it uh, gives off, especially during sunrise, and sunset, overlooking that beautiful lake there. Uh, so a few years ago when we were climbing it, right, we get up very early in the morning, 3 a.m., early start. I remember waking up and looking up and seeing the stars at 3 a.m., and I thought, today's going to be a great day. No clouds, it's going to be uh, right perfect, and whenever you think that, something is about to go wrong. And sure enough, uh, the morning went super well. We get up above treeline right as the sun starts to rise. The beauty of that, we start walking and hiking a little farther up. It's getting a little bit harder, uh, some scrambling that we have to do now. And we get up to the uh, ridge line. Right at the ridge line is kind of that moment where if you commit, you got to go all the way. You don't want to turn back when you're along the ridge there. But we get up right on top of the ridge line and we just see this cloud of black staring at us. And we're like, that looks just like Mordor staring us down. So we all look at each other and we say, we have to turn around right now. Very scary. Uh, the storm uh, turned and, and it, was, it was heading right towards us. I remember uh, with our buddies, we, we turn around, we start running down to, to tree line thinking that the storm would come and hit us at any moment. We eventually got back down to camp. We went in our tents, right? We, we tried to take a nap, but we were frustrated because we wanted to summit the peak that day. We get even more frustrated because the rain never came, right? We heard some distant thunder, which was probably a good thing because uh, we probably made the right decision, but you never like admitting defeat. The mountains that always that place kind of wonder, of awe, but also of vulnerability. You never know what's around that next corner. You never know what's beyond that next peak. The mountains are often a beautiful encounter with God. Today, in our gospel, Jesus goes up the mountain 
the Sermon on the Mount to preach to the disciples. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes up the mountain. This should cause us to remember exactly what happened in Exodus 19. Moses. Moses goes up the mountain. He stays up there for 40 days and 40 nights and encounters God. The hand of God comes and writes those Ten Commandments on the two tablets. Moses goes up the mountain, encounters God, and then he comes down the mountain with a law. A law that's meant for Israel. Indeed, that's still meant for us, the Ten Commandments. Jesus, who is the new Moses, the fulfillment of this. Jesus goes up the mountain. Of course, he doesn't need to encounter God because he is God. And when he comes down the mountain, he gives the the apostles, the disciples, in a sense, a new law. The Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, which we hear today. More than a law. Not just a way of life, not just good advice, but the very good news that Jesus is calling us to live. I do want to caveat that the Beatitudes are a little terrifying. But what's important to note with this is what happens at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Seeing the crowds... He went up the mountain when he sat down with his disciples. Jesus saw the great crowds. He actually flees from the crowds. It almost seems like the, great, the, the eight Beatitudes are just meant for the twelve. And then what's to follow is then meant for the whole crowds. If you're new to Christianity, the Beatitudes might not be what you should start with tonight. If you're new to Christianity, God wants to get you to to that point where you can see the good news of the Beatitudes. But if you're not there yet, that's okay. We continue to become disciples following Jesus day after day. So what's the good news of the Beatitudes? If there's one thing I want you to remember tonight, it's this. The Beatitudes are not recommendations, but rather they are descriptions of who we become in Christ. The Beatitudes are not recommendations. Jesus did not set out, the gospel is not just good advice. Jesus isn't just some moral teacher who says, do this, do that. These aren't recommendations. Brothers and sisters, when we fall in love with Christ, when we become like him, the Beatitudes then become a description of who we are. Much more than just a mere recommendation. One of the great things I love, uh, I don't get to do, as much, since I technically work on Sundays, is I love watching sports. In seminary, I remember having uh, Sundays be a great day of leisure. I remember going to Apostolate in the morning, and then coming back to the, the parish house where we lived in the afternoon, 
with a bunch of buddies, uh, with the other seminarians, right, we would eat dinner, eat lunch together, but then we would be able to, you know, watch football, watch basketball, whatever time of year it was. I love doing that. Uh, every four years, right, we have the Olympics, or every two years, I guess. I always loved watching the Olympics to see the, the competitions and see the uh, world records being broken, right? Like the, in, in swimming, you see that line in the pool, and you see them trying to catch the line almost. Uh, the excitement and the joy of that. What's so fascinating about the Olympics, right, in 1896, the Olympic game, the Olympic Committee was formed, the International Olympic Committee. Certainly the Olympics have been around a lot longer than that, but when they formed the Olympics, they gave a motto. Do you know what the motto to the Olympics are? The motto to the Olympics is this, Sitius Altius Fortius, faster, higher, stronger. I mean, I think that's what attracts us about sports oftentimes, to see the, the potential of the human person, the human being, to compete, to run faster, uh, to jump higher, to do things stronger. But brothers and sisters, that's the logic of the world. The logic of the world, right, says if you want to be smarter, if you want to be better, if you want to be happier, have more things. Be faster, be stronger, be better, have more pleasure, have more wealth, have more power, more glory, to be faster, to be higher, to be stronger. But the logic of Christ is the opposite. The logic of Christ says slower, lower, weaker. Slower, lower, weaker. The Beatitudes aren't the logic of the world. The logic of Christ. Not recommendations, but descriptions of who we become in Christ. St. Paul today is writing to the church at Corinth. And St. Paul, what he wants to get to today is he uses this word foolish. Just before this, he says the word folly. He's talking about the foolishness the world looks at at Christians. And specifically, right, he says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. What did God use that was foolish? Right, it's the cross. How is it that the most horrific death in history becomes the power to save us? God uses what is foolish because it's not the logic of the world. The logic of Christ is so much different. And here's the catch. The Beatitudes teach us that in our weakness, we are made strong. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Brothers and sisters, I invite you to, to dive deeper into Christ. Because as we do that, 
we live the Beatitudes. We become poor. We become meek. We mourn. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. And even we are persecuted in the name of Christ. I want to close with just looking at one of one of these beatitudes, specifically the second one. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. None of us like to mourn. None of us like to weep, none of us like to cry. The most beautiful thing that we can mourn over most beautiful thing that we can ask God, God help me to experience true sorrow, right, is for our sins. Part of the act of contrition, right? I'm sorry, God, because I want to love you above all things. Help me to feel sorrow. Help me to feel true sorrow. To even have the gift of weeping over my sins. You know, as a priest, a very privileged place in the confessional. I must say, some of the most uh, powerful confessions that we hear are when people come in, it doesn't matter what they've confessed, but are they sorry for their sins? Even to the point of weeping, even to the point of mourning, because God forbid anything that, that cuts us off from him. We weep over that. The good news today is that the Beatitudes are not just recommendations. The Beatitudes are descriptions of who we become in Christ. So as we approach the Lord today, let us ask him that we might have the grace not to focus on the logic of this world, but to focus on his logic. And Jesus, we ask you that in our weakness, we might be made strong.